attention this evening to the book of John, the book of John, the third chapter. And I would like to, I would like to uh, announce again that we'll be having a prayer meeting tomorrow night, a very important prayer meeting tomorrow night here at 730, specially called prayer meeting where we'll be praying specifically for Bishop Norman Pasley. Uh, those who are aware, he has been over 60 days now in intensive care. Over 60 days in intensive care. Uh, awaiting a heart transplant, awaiting a kidney transplant. And uh, we need to join together, bind together as a city. Amen. As they did in the book of Acts. And prayed until the Lord released Peter from prison and uh, we've prayed we've sought God and God has demonstrated his power already but but we need this to be resolved in the Lord and things happen when the saints begin to pray the glory of the Lord comes down at Calvary Church which is of course Pastor Pasley's congregation will be joining us and Grace Point Church will be joining us, and uh, we're just gonna we're just gonna seek God. It's gonna be a, a just a good old fashioned prayer meeting, and we're just gonna we're just gonna come to the throne of God and ask the Lord to intervene. Hallelujah! I believe God can perform notable miracles in our midst. Do things that 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 we cannot do for ourselves, and so that'll be tomorrow night at seven thirty p.m. I'd like to ask you to look with me to John chapter 3, and, and uh, we're going to begin reading at the 14th verse. The word of the Lord says this, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Hallelujah. I want to pay special attention to John 3, 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I'd like to just preach to you for a little while on the subject, the serpent and the Savior. The serpent and the Savior. Hallelujah. Could we go to the Lord together in prayer this time? Mighty God, we humble ourselves before you as best that we can, acknowledging you that you are great, greatly to be praised. You are the most high God above all, through all, and in us all. Lord, we ask that you would move tonight through your word to minister to every heart, to every mind, to every soul. I pray, oh God, that you would touch the lives of every person that is gathered here that will hear this word. I pray in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, that your word would find good ground. Let your anointing rest upon your messenger as I attempt to preach your word. And let us, all of us, hear it, receive it. And obey it. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said in Jesus name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. 
here in this passage of Scripture, we find a perhaps one of the most beautiful verses known to Christendom that describes the great gift of life that God has promised to those who seek Him. Very easily quoted. People, people just, they just know even the, the, the numbers denoting this verse. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now this verse of Scripture is, is found in the third chapter of the Gospel according to John, and it actually takes place in the tail end of a conversation that Jesus is having with a man by the name of Nicodemus. We sometimes separate it from that conversation. We, we more... Are, we're more familiar with that conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus uh, because Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews, a man of the Pharisees, we're more familiar with his questions about eternal life and, and about who Jesus was. It's very interesting, this man. The Bible says that he came to Jesus by night. Some have speculated, why did Nicodemus come to Jesus by night? Was, you know, was he ashamed to come to Jesus in the daytime? Why did he come by night? I don't really, doesn't matter to me how he came to Jesus or what time of day. He might have just been getting off work. I don't know. Doesn't bother me. I'm just glad he came to Jesus. Amen. And he came to Jesus by night. A man of the Pharisees. Ruler of the Jews might have been worried to approach Jesus in the daytime. Who knows? But the most important thing is that he came to Jesus and he came to him with this question. Rabbi, we know. What a statement. We know. He is a delegate from a group of people of his community, the Pharisaical community. A community that had taken such issue with Jesus, who had criticized Jesus, who had criticized his disciples, and yet they sent out this delegate to go to him by night to speak on behalf of a whole Pharisaical community and say, we understand the scriptures, we can quote Old Testament Psalms and Proverbs, Books of the law, Joshua, Judges, we know the books of the kings, we know the major and the minor prophets, and we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And to that Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He begins to explain to him 
that he is referring to a birth of the Holy Ghost. What we have come to know as the new birth, second birth, rebirth. Oh, hallelujah. And, and as a ruler of Israel, Jesus finally said to him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? So he was really taking Nicodemus to task. And then he began to explain to him how this whole salvation thing works. And he goes to the, to the 14th verse, as we would call it. And he, he points Nicodemus's attention back to an account in the Old Testament that Nicodemus would doubtless be familiar with. As a master of Israel, as a ruler of the Jews, as a man of the Pharisees, he would doubtless be familiar with the account in the scriptures when Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness. And that act saved thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people's lives. He said, I want to remind you of that Day in the Old Testament, that day in Moses' day, when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, he said that day was a significant day, and it signified the day that the Son of Man would be lifted up. He said, just as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why should he be lifted up? That whosoever believeth in him, just as they looked upon that serpent and were healed. And this is the way that it unfolded in the, in the Old Testament. The children of Israel had transgressed the Lord. They had, they had sinned against God. There was condemnation hanging over their head. They were under a cloud of judgment. Transgression had been made. Judgment was now coming. Serpents came from all directions. Venomous serpents. Nobody here likes serpents. I don't have to be a prophet to tell you that. Nobody here likes to see a serpent come running out of the, or slithering or whatever, running, slithering out of something. Nobody wants to see that. You know the old adage, don't be afraid of the snake. They're more afraid of you than you are of them. I highly doubt that because I am terrified of those things. They cannot, no, nobody could be more scared of me than I am of a snake. And so, so no, I'm sorry, that's just not the case. And, and so not only were these things unafraid of the children of Israel, they came with a reckless abandon. They came from, from every which direction with a mandate. Judgment was coming. Condemnation was in store. Transgression had been made and the serpents were going to come and exact that judgment and that indignation. And they came with venom in their fangs and they laid hold upon the flesh of Israel. And the venom was deposited into the bloodstream of those children of Israel. And while the judgment was taking place, the scripture says Moses was busy making a brazen serpent, a fiery serpent. And as he was making this fiery brazen serpent, 
He lifted that thing up. He hoisted it up in front of the people who had just been assaulted by these venomous snakes that were sent because of the sin that was in Israel's life. And the Bible teaches us that when the people would, would look upon the serpent that Moses had lifted up in the wilderness, that the venom that had just been deposited into their bloodstream that was attacking their central nervous system, that was shutting down their vital organs, when their eyes fell upon that serpent in the wilderness, that the venom's effect stopped in their body, that attack upon their nervous system ceased, that effect that it was take, having upon the organs of their body, all of that was rendered Useless because they had seen the serpent that was lifted up in the wilderness. And Jesus looked at Nicodemus and said, remember when that happened? Do you remember when you read that? Do you remember when you quote that? Do you understand the account I'm talking about? Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Look around you, Nicodemus. All these people that you see struggling and suffering. All of these people that are groping in darkness. All of these people that are confused and heartbroken. All of these people that are ashamed. All of these people that are dying in their spirit. Dying in their, in their mind. Dying in their relationships. All of these people. This is a sin problem. There is a venom in their soul. There's a venom in their spirit. It's shutting them down. And just as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness so must the son of man be lifted up so that all who believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life I'm trying to tell you, Nicodemus, that it wasn't just about Moses and his serpent. Moses and his serpent were typifying a day when the son of man would be lifted up high upon a cross that whosoever would look upon him, believe on him, hallelujah, can have everlasting life. Hallelujah. And it's a little bit, it's a little bit, it's a little bit unusual of a, of a type and a shadow. I got to be honest with you. It's, it's a little bit different than some of the other types and shadows you see in the Old Testament. I mean, this Old Testament, if you read the, the Old Testament, you see some of the most amazing accounts in the Old Testament. You read about, about Moses standing before Red Sea and the waters parting hither and thither and the children of Israel walking through on dry ground. And you read about when they were hungry that manna fell from the heavens. And you read about Daniel being cast into a lion's den. But the angel of the Lord came and shut the mouths of the lions so that they could not harm him. You read about three Hebrew children cast into a fiery furnace and that then miraculously a fourth man shows up in the fire and, and they are delivered and they don't even smell like smoke. In one vision of, of, of Nebuchadnezzar, there was a rock that was, that was uh, hewn. It was hewn out of the mountain without hands. There, there were no hands that hewn this rock out of the mountain. So it's hewn out of the mountain, but, but no man did it. It's just done by itself. And that rock tumbled down until it had destroyed the empires of the world and stood as the ultimate kingdom of the earth. 
Hallelujah. And, and in one place, water came flooding out of a rock. I, I look back on Abraham's uh, moment when he, when he was about to sacrifice Isaac, and the Lord provided a ram that was rustling in the thicket. And ladies and gentlemen, every one of these stories that I just mentioned, and I could go on and on and on, every single one of them are pointing to Jesus Christ. Every single one of them. And, and, and Jesus could have said, even as the ram took the place of Isaac upon the altar, so must the Son of Man take the place of the sinners upon the cross. Hallelujah. Every one of these stories are typifying Jesus, a foreshadowing of Jesus. They're signifying Jesus. And so I can understand how the ram represents Jesus. I can understand how the rock represents Jesus. I can understand how bread from heaven, bread from heaven. I can understand how bread from heaven represents my Savior who came to me from heaven and poured himself upon me and gave me nourishment when my soul was so starved my soul was so sin stricken but thank God bread from heaven I can understand all of that but Jesus goes back into the into the corridors of of the old covenant and he pulls out one of the most one of the unlikeliest of stories and says here I am Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, really? The serpent? I understand how a lamb represents Him. I understand how the dove that Noah let loose from the ark. I can see how that would represent him. I I can see, let's pick a better animal for crying out loud. Nobody likes a snake. Nobody likes a serpent. Let alone, we don't want him to be a representation of our Savior. My goodness. Nobody likes a serpent. They're sneaky. The The first mention of the serpent in the Word of God, you know right where it is. You know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to preach it anyway. Now, the serpent was the most subtle beast of the field. This is a, this is a, a beast of subtlety. This is a beast of deception. This is a beast that represents sin. This is a beast that represents uncleanness. This is a, a subtle, sly, sneaky, deceptive, unclean beast. In the field. And Jesus points to this serpent in the wilderness and says, there I am right there. Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I mean, these things are are, are sneaky. And, And there's an enmity between the seed of woman. That's all of us. There's an enmity between us and that serpent even to this day. We just don't like the way it moves. We just don't trust that thing. No, it's sneaky. Look at him. He's going, oh, no, he's going this way. Uh-uh. I do not trust that thing. And these folks that have them as pets, Lord, help them. And if you're one of them, we're praying for you. Heard about the couple that had the, had the anaconda as a, as a pet or a python, something. I don't know what, how big it was, but it was big. And they liked it, and it was their pet, and they had a name for it, and they cuddled up to it. 
something wrong with that. And so they, they had this, <clears throat> this, this massive serpent, viper, snake. And they had actually gotten so comfortable with it that, <clears throat> that they let it sleep with them. And, um, and they just did, you know, people say, well, you're crazy. They said, no, it's just an animal. It's a domesticated animal, just like any other animal can be domesticated. And then something happened. They woke up one morning, and there it lay, but it was, it was all stretched out and was stiff as a, as a board. And, um, and they noticed that there was a, that there was a, a real hardness in the, in the middle of the, of the snake and and so they called the exotic vet where they, where they had their snake treated and said, what in the world is this? We've never experienced anything like this. And so the vet was asking them some questions, and does this check out, and does that check out, and does this check out? Yeah. And the vet said, come straight here now. And they said, okay, well, it must be something bad. The poor snake must be sick. So they brought the snake with them all stretched out and brought him in there. Could you imagine walking in, taking your little bunny rabbit in with this massive, I'm going to a different vet. He goes, well, he go walking in and the, 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 the veterinarian said, I'm sorry to do this, but we're going to have to put, we're going to have to put him out. They said, why? Whatever for? He said, because he was stretching himself out, sizing you up to see if you would fit in his belly. Y'all don't play with snakes, natural or spiritual. But too many people are playing around with spiritual serpents. And you think it's safe and the world has told you it's okay and, it's, and everybody's doing it and this is fine and that's fine. And what you're messing with will take your life one day. And you need to, be, you need to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to you right now. This is a warning from God for your soul, letting you know you're involved with something, playing with something that will be your demise if you let it continue in your life. In Jesus' name. Could we receive that right now in the name of the Lord? In Jesus' name. So we don't trust snakes. And, and here I am. I'm looking at this passage of Scripture, and Jesus, Jesus points back to this, this time. This confusing time where people are being are, are, are recoiling and they're dying and they're in the process of, of venom coursing through their bodies and, and, and violent vipers are all around them. And, and all of a sudden, uh, up in the distance is Moses lifting up this fiery brazen serpent, hoisting it high for all of Israel to see. And, the, and while their organs are shutting down and while their central nervous system is beginning to completely come apart and their eyes just fall on that serpent and everything all at once is reversed Jesus said that's what happens when people come into my plan of salvation that's what happens when people believe on me as the scripture hath said everything can be coming against them all hell can be breaking loose in their life they can be addicted and broken and shaken and shackled and rattled and everything in their life can be coming apart and they can be falling apart at the seams but if they get one glimpse of me hallelujah in my 
state of sacrifice if they can truly comprehend the work of the cross if they can truly set their eyes upon the blood that was shed for them upon the the Christ of Calvary's cross if they can understand what the Lord has done to save their souls I want you to know that every every act of violence that sin has let loose in their life can be reversed in an instance I want you to know that every chain that has been wrapped around their soul from the time they were a young child before they could even make decisions for themselves that serpent was trying to wrap a chain around their soul and now they're an adult and that chain is only thickened that chain is only worsened oh but if they could see Jesus upon the cross oh but if they could see the Christ of Calvary he said Nicodemus I want you to know that what Moses serpent did for those children of Israel in the wilderness that's what my blood will do for mankind that's what my grace will do for the sin state of mankind that's what my favor that's what my mercy that's what my sacrifice I am like that serpent and you say how in the world could he be like that serpent that Moses lifted up in the wilderness you see he's so pure He's God in flesh. He's the Father in human form. He is the only begotten Son of God. How can one so pure, one so holy, be like the serpent in the wilderness of Moses? See, this wasn't Moses' first runaround with a serpent. Moses had another serpent that, that, he, that, that he had encountered. And it happened as he was standing before the burning bush. And as you were standing before the burning bush, the Lord said, take thy rod that is in thine hand. And Moses standing there holding the rod. This was his shepherd's staff. And the Lord said, I know what you use that staff for. You hold it in your hand and you use it for this, for that. He said, but I want you to do something different with that rod now. I want you to cast that rod down to the earth. And when Moses cast that rod down to the earth, something very mysterious happened. It turned into a serpent. And the Lord said, don't be afraid, just pick it back up. And he reached down, he picked it back up, and no longer was it a serpent. But for a season, that rod turned into a serpent. And this rod was, was, I don't know, I don't understand completely the mystery of Moses' rod, but it was somehow a connection between him and God. And, and, and that shepherd's rod was, was such a tool of the shepherd and such a, a way that the shepherd would lead the sheep that God... God used it as an example of how he would lead his people. He, David acknowledged it when he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Even Solomon explained to parents, listen, you're a shepherd and you've got a rod in your hand and that rod will drive foolishness far from the heart of the child. Don't be afraid to, to correct and discipline. I'm not talking about abuse. I'm talking about godly discipline. Don't be afraid to, to stand your ground and discipline in the ways of the Lord. This is the role of a parent to be a correctional figure and, and to lead and to guide in the name of Jesus. And the rod of Moses was somehow a, 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 an example of Moses' connection with God. I, I don't understand it all completely but I do know that that the Lord would often say to him take now thy rod 
I put something in your hand. I gave you something. Use what I put in your hand. Standing before the Red Sea, Moses is, is standing there, does not know what to do. This was not part of the plan. The plan was to leave Egypt and go into the promised land. But the map that God wrote up for him included the Red Sea. God brought him to that Red Sea on purpose so that he could stand there. And God didn't have a cruise ship waiting for him. Everybody with their own cabin number, all neatly ordered and compartmentalized, and you go there and you go there, and you didn't work like that. God said, This is where you're going. Stand there and wait on me. And Moses, the Bible said, The Lord stretched, said to him, Stretch out thy rod. And he stretched out his rod over those waters. And the holy God of Israel began to breathe upon those waters. And a strong east wind drove those waters back and pushed them. And those waters parted and there was dry ground. Hallelujah. And they walked upon that dry ground, got to the other side and rejoiced for what the Lord had done. When they needed water, they needed water. They hadn't had anything to drink and they were so thirsty. And the Lord said, take now thy rod that is in thine hand and smite the rock. And when Moses smote the rock, the water came pouring out of the rock. Water for all of Israel to enjoy and to drink of that water. Hallelujah. When it was time for the plagues of e to come upon Egypt, the Lord told Moses and Aaron, he said, put your rod in the water and turn the water into blood. And that rod could turn water into blood. And that rod could bring water from a rock. And that rod could part waters of the Red Sea. I don't understand the connection, but, but it was something God gave Moses and Moses would lean on it and Moses would point the way with it and Moses would do miracles with it. It's an amazing, amazing miracle that God gave to Moses. As he stood in Pharaoh's court, once again, Pharaoh said, how do I even know you have a God? Show me an idol that tells me you have a God. Our God is not one that you can see. Our God is not one that you can feel with your natural hands. Tell me what kind of a God it is. Show me your God's power. And the Lord said, throw down your rod. And, and, and Aaron threw down his rod. And when that rod was cast down to the earth, that rod turned into a serpent. Well, that's nothing. The Egyptian magicians, Janus and Jambres, walked up and they threw down their rods and their rods turned into serpents. The only difference was that Aaron's rod that turned into a serpent had authority over Janus and Jambres' rods that had been turned into serpents. Let me tell you the greatest subtlety of the devil. It is this. When the devil tries to duplicate what God has done, when the world tries to say it wasn't God, because watch, I can do it too. It's the greatest subtlety of the enemy. Because you can, with your natural eyes, look at it and say, oh my word, they're right. They did the same thing that the preacher did. They accomplished the same thing. So maybe, they, maybe this is just some kind of a higher being or a higher power. You keep on watching. 
Because that rod that was cast down to the earth from Moses and Aaron is turns into a serpent that has authority over the serpents of Janus and Jambres. Let me explain to you about this serpent that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the serpent in the field. I'm not talking about that beast that's in the field that's more subtle than any beast of the field. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, that our God, who has all power in heaven and in earth, and like Moses' rod, hallelujah, that was able to part waters, God was able to do great wonders. And he did great wonders. The first time waters parted were not when Moses stood before the Red Sea. The first time waters parted was when God said, let the waters part and let the dry land appear. Move these waters there. And he called them seas and he called them seas. And he began to part the waters and move them around. That's the power of our God. Hallelujah. The power of our God is that he says, let there be light and there is light. The power of our God is that he said, let the earth bring forth fruit and the earth brings forth fruit. The power of our God, ladies and gentlemen, is that he's able to say, let the fish bring forth abundantly. Let the fowl bring forth abundantly. And God created all that is in the earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all they that dwell therein. But just like Moses' rod, when it was cast down to the earth, when God came down to the earth, when God was manifested in the flesh, when God took upon human form like you and like me, just like Moses' rod, he became like a serpent. Let me explain to you how. I know that's hard to hear because he's our God. He's our Savior. And there's nobody like him. And there's no one above him. But when I tell you that God came down into this earth, I don't mean that he came down and had his reservations at a mansion. God came down into this earth with one purpose in mind. He did not come to make of himself a great reputation. He did not come down to this earth to compete with the other world leaders as to who could leave a more indelible impression upon history. He did not come down to this earth to receive accolades that a king would crave. But when he came down to this earth, he came with one purpose in mind. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He did not come into this world to condemn the world. He came into this world to save the world. The world was already condemned. The world didn't need another wagging finger saying, I told you so. The world needed a light from heaven to shine down into the darkness. And so God said, I'm going to step down into that world. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, it was God. He did not send another. He did not delegate this responsibility. He did not go wake up his son and say, I want you to go do this for me. No, sir. No, ma'am. When we talk about the only begotten son of the living God, we're talking about Elohim, El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shema, who became the only begotten son of the living God. He didn't go he didn't go grab his boy by the, by the collar and say, get down there quick and do this. No, no, it was him. 
It was the Lord himself. It was the Lord himself. It was the Lord of glory. He's the Father and the Son. He's the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Just like he's the shepherd and the lamb, he's the Father and the Son. Just like he's the root and the branch, he's the Father and the Son. Just like he's the first and the last, he's the Father and the Son. And he told Nicodemus, he said, just like Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, I will be lifted up like a serpent. How could my God, my God, my Savior, my, my, my Messiah, my Christ, my God, how could he ever be as a, as a serpent, that unclean, ungodly, that vile, sinful beast, how could he ever be like that? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him, and here it is, he hath made him, he hath made him to be sin for us. Your Savior was made to be sin for us. That's why when you look at that cross of Calvary, don't forget how awful that thing was. Don't let the don't let the melodic tunes of our favorite songs steal from the gravity of that moment. The little bit of the bebop of, of that Calvary, one of my favorite songs, at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. But don't get so caught up in the pleasantry that you forget how gruesome and how awful and how brutal and how terrifying that moment was. He was made to be sin. And the brutality of the judgment of God that was exacted upon him was meant for my sin. But he became my sin. He didn't just die the death of a sinner. He died the death of sin. Numbered with the transgressors. He who knew no sin. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. When was the Savior a serpent? On that day of Calvary's cross. When He was nailed to it. He was made to be sin. See, He wasn't really a sinner. But He looked like a sinner. He was not really a sinner, but he was crucified like a sinner. 
He wasn't really a sinner, but he was mocked like a sinner. He was wounded like a sinner. He was bruised like a sinner. He was, he was chastised like a sinner. He had stripes on his back like a sinner. But he wasn't really a sinner. Just like Moses' fiery brazen serpent wasn't really a serpent. It was a made serpent. And he was made to be sinned. He was so holy. He was so perfect. He was so pure that he was actually able to absorb all the sins of mankind into his own person. Oh, God and Savior. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, it says in the hand of the Lord, there is cup. And this cup is full of the wrath of God. The mixture is red. It is violent. And anybody that takes this cup, it will surely destroy them. That's what Jesus was talking about in the garden of Gethsemane. When he was praying in the garden and said, if this cup can pass for me, then let this cup pass for me. He knew that that cup of God was tilted toward humanity and it was going to be poured on every soul that had ever lived because no one has, has seen God at any time and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous. No, not one. Every one of us deserve to die. Every one of us deserve a hell, brimstone, and fire. Every single one of us are simply awaiting the judgment of God and then Jesus stands up before all of us as a mediator between the judgment of God and the sin of mankind and says I'll take that cup I'll take that cup it is full the cup is full of the violent indignation of God and it was tilted to be poured upon humanity. And Jesus the Christ, God, manifest in the flesh. I want you to consider how much he loves you. The law prescribes that the judgment must come. That is an absolute. That's not something God can change. Because we have put in motion the law of sin and death. And it is the law of sin and death that requires the judgment and the wrath of God upon sin. If God were to change that, he'd be criminal. He'd be a lawbreaker. And he's not a lawbreaker. So the law must be fulfilled. We put it in motion to save us, to save us from what we put into motion. He took on our body. And he walked on our level. And he lived the kind of life that we live. But he overcame the temptations we can't overcome. And he overcame the enemies that we fall to day after day after day. He resisted all temptations and all points as we are tempted, he was tempted. But he resisted it all. And he was above sin and without sin. And when he went to the cross, he went to the cross as a humble, pure, meek lamb. But when he was nailed to that cross, ladies and gentlemen... He was made sin. He was made a serpent. 
the most subtle beast of the field. He was treated like he was the most unclean, vile, ungodly, horrific thing the world had ever seen. And it's because he was taking all of your idolatry into him. He was taking all of your adultery into him. He was taking all of your hatred into him. He was taking all of your envy and all of your lasciviousness and all of your transgression of the law of God. He was absorbing all of it and standing there stretched wide open saying, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Hallelujah. So you'll pardon me if I get excited when somebody says, he's worthy. So you'll pardon me if tears come to my eyes when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he has done for me. My soul cries out. Uh, my soul cries out. I don't know if you know what he did for you. That, that should have been you on that cross. That should have been me on that cross. But he took my place and he took my sin. Hallelujah. All of my sin, all, all, all of it, everything that I've done wrong and said wrong, you know what, we just sin and keep on going, don't we? We just, we just transgress God's law and we keep on moving and keep on grooving and keep on living life like nothing's wrong. And you know, I don't even realize that we're living in a space of grace. We don't, even, we don't even think about it. We don't even realize that we are putting into motion the law of sin and death into our life. And that by the, only by the grace of God are we saved from such a thing. And I want you to know that even even as Moses lifted up the serpent that's in the wilderness, the Son of Man was lifted up. And if you're here tonight and you've been bitten, if you're here tonight and you've been, you've been assaulted by sin and by death and by the serpent, the enemy of your soul, all you've got to do is look up at this Jesus that I'm preaching to. Believe on Him. Be baptized into Him. Let Him fill you with His precious Holy Spirit. Let him heal you from the law of sin and death that has been brought into your life. Hallelujah. This is the day that the Savior became a serpent. He was cast down to the earth like Moses' rod. And when he was cast down to the earth at Calvary, cast down! It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Cast down, numbered with the transgressors. Cast down, wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Cast down, we esteemed him not. He was stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was cast down. And when he was cast down, this same rod, hallelujah, that parted waters and this same rod that spoke light and this same God, this same rod that had performed so many creative miracles. But when he was cast down for one season one day he turned into a serpent so that he could take upon himself the judgment due the sins of all mankind glory hallelujah that's why the scripture says cursed be every man that hangeth on a tree when he hung on that tree he was cursed you know why he was cursed because we were cursed. And he wouldn't let us be cursed by ourselves. He didn't have to do it, but he did. 
My God, have mercy. I don't understand it. What manner of love had the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God? But he didn't want me to be cursed by myself. So he became like me and said, no, I'll take it. The punishment due, Joel, I'll take it. The judgment due, Joel, I'll take it. So I'm going to serve him the rest of my life. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I will. You, you go your way and let me be. But just to walk with him means everything to me. When I came into an understanding of what he did, I'm sorry, but you can take this whole world, but give me Jesus. With the cross before me and the world behind me, just give me Jesus. Somebody lift up your voice unto him tonight. Glory to the name of God. Glory to the name of God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory to the name of God. Glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody, right now, I want you to thank God for the blood. Thank God for the blood. Hallelujah. I'm opening these altars right now for somebody to come forward. I'm opening these altars for somebody to come forward in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. 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 Glory. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Glory, hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah, glory, hallelujah. If you've got a serpent in your life that the enemy has sent into your life, I want you to know when he was cast down, he has authority over every serpent that would come your way. When he was cast down, that serpent, as Moses lifted it up in the wilderness, has authority over every piece of venom, every ounce of venom that was placed into your spirit, into your soul. I don't know when that venom was placed into your life, but in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the power of God, the blood of Jesus Christ, come against that. He Yes, when that rod was cast down, that serpent had authority to swallow up the serpents of the world. That serpent had authority to swallow up the work of the enemy. And he will swallow up what the enemy is trying to do in your life. In the name of Jesus Christ.
come on, that's it. Right now, in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 in the name of Jesus. Lord God, right now, Lord, we speak faith into Sister Imogene right now. Lord, the blood of Jesus be upon her children right now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let the Spirit of the living God move upon her right now, Lord. Increase her faith, Lord, in Jesus' name. Increase her faith, Lord. Lord, cast aside in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. The work that Jesus did at Calvary is like that serpent Aaron cast down, that rod that turned into a serpent. The work of Calvary is going to swallow up. It's going to swallow up the temptation coming against you right now. The work of Calvary is going to swallow up the work of death in your life. The work of Calvary is going to swallow up that bitterness that you've let fester in your soul. The work of Calvary is going to swallow it up. The serpent lifted up in the wilderness has power over every serpent in the field attacking God's people. Come on in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Seek him while he may be found. Seek him while he may be found. Seek him while he may be found. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Even when I fail, I know you. And your holy presence surrounds. 